Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you here. On today's episode, I had the incredible opportunity to interview Brother Raymond Woodward, and he has um, impacted my life through several things that he's shared and several sermons um, very deeply, and I do quote him very regularly. And so I just pray that something that is shared in this episode helps strengthen your walk with Jesus. Stay tuned for this conversation with Raymond Woodward. Today on Unedited, we have the incredible privilege to have very special guest, Brother Raymond Woodward. And I want to say thank you so much for being here today, Brother Woodward. It's a high honor. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Brother Woodward has shared a number of things over the years that have really impacted me. If you've listened to the show, even probably a few episodes, you've probably heard me quote something along the way. And so that's why I asked if he could be here today. I think he has, I know he has a lot of things to share that could be of value to those who are starting the habit of Bible reading and prayer, or maybe just strengthening it and wanting to draw closer to God. So again, thank you. Um, Typically, when you interview somebody, you ask them to share a little bit about themselves. I kind of want to rephrase that question a little bit and ask you, what is your testimony? Everybody has a testimony. And so many times we hear the people that have the prison stories or the alcoholic Mm. stories or the abuse stories. And I just was curious if you can share just the mini version of what is your testimony? Sure. Well, um, I don't have a prison story and I'm actually quite grateful for that. Um, (laughs) I grew up in church. Uh, My mother and father, precious, precious people, uh, never been in, you know, full-time ministry or anything like that. My dad's not a pastor. Um, he uh, passed away in 2020 and miss him very, very much. My mom is still living. She's 80 years old. Um, but they were basically new converts when uh, they got married and uh, came into this wonderful apostolic faith. My dad had an uncle who uh, was a minister, and he was extremely instrumental in teaching my father the Bible. And so Um, the interest in the word of God started a couple of generations before me in our family. Uh, Dad was really the only one in his immediate family that was interested in what his uh, uncle had to to say. And uh, his uncle, my great uncle, uh, Leonard Parent, he lived in the state of Michigan, pastored a church there, a great leader. Uh, But he would make the journey home to New Brunswick, Canada every fall. That's where he was from. And He would teach my dad the Bible at a big old farmhouse kitchen table. So fast forward, my mom and dad were 
pretty much new converts when they get married. And I came along a little bit uh, around a year later, maybe. Um, and so I was raised by them. They were so in love with the Lord and so faithful to church. And so from an early age, that was drilled in me. Um, I, I really did not stray. You know, you hear the, the, the testimonies about people who strayed in their teenage years. I don't think I ever strayed away from church at all. I was, I was very involved, very faithful, thanks to good parents. Um, but I do remember, um, kind of coming to a crossroads personally, when I was trying to decide, I was, my dad was an educator all of his career. That's where my love for teaching, no doubt came from. And I remember I had all my scholarships in place. I was going to go to university, become um, a high school teacher. Um, and I, I really would have enjoyed that, I think. Um, and I remember the moments when I just said, okay, God, I'll give up my dream of teaching and I'll go to Bible college. That was kind of the decision. So I did. Um, the Bible college here in New Brunswick at the time, if you had seen the the dormitories, you would have wondered what was wrong with my head. It was a, a pretty small school and not in great shape as far as the physical campus, but a lot of great people went through that college. Um, I wouldn't say that Bible school did anything spectacular for me. I, I learned some things, um, was able to be involved in what they called the weekend ministry program, but really um, it just kind of grew from there. I assisted at a church, started my ministry uh, career, if you want to call it that, in music for about eight years. And then gradually, um, just one of the things I think that surprises people about me now is that I can count on one hand uh, the number of times I would have preached or taught in the first, oh goodness, 10 years of my ministry. Um but the last 30 years, it's been a lot. And somewhere, well, you know, along a few years ago, I was over in the other hemisphere, somewhere in Singapore, or Australia, somewhere. And I was in a hotel room and, and the Lord spoke to me in the way that he does and said, so, uh, so you gave up teaching for me, uh, because that had always kind of been the way I told that story. And I got my dream back a, a thousand fold. I never got to teach English or history or biology, but I've had the privilege of teaching the word of God pretty much on every continent. I've never been to Antarctica, but other than that, I've, I've had the privilege of doing that. And so that's my story. It's, it's just kind of a, a, a plodding, uh, walking with God, uh, walking through open doors. And I would say to some of our listeners today that, um, you know, a lot of times people talk about finding the will of God and they look at it like God has to speak to me. Um, sometimes I've found the will of God by praying a, a, a very simple prayer. In fact, I would say that this has been the case at every significant moment of decision in my life. It hasn't been God show me the open door. It's been God, I've got two open doors or three open doors. And so I've sought counsel, I've prayed, I've looked at principles in your word, I'm trying to be submitted to you, but I can't figure this out. There's two doors, there's three doors, they're all good doors. Mm. So Jesus, I'm going to make the best decision I can with all the factors, all the boxes checked, counsel, elders, submission to pastor, submission to your word, praying, 
I'm going to try to make the best decision. And I've prayed this prayer so many times. Um, if this isn't right, Jesus, please block it. Um, so I'm going to try to pick the best door out of two or the best door out of three. You block it if this isn't the right one. I'm not just giving you permission to block it. I'm asking you to block it. I don't want to get out of your will. And that has really helped me, I think. And uh, so I've just kind of spent a lifetime walking through open doors. Um, no big drama or trauma, just steady walking with God. Wow. That's a powerful testimony in and of itself. There's so many spinoff questions that are going through my mind, but just <laughs> how incredible that God gave you your dream back. And then you said, you know, it hasn't been drama or trauma, but it's just been this plotting, this faithfulness. And I'm just thinking of, you know, Enoch walked with God, you know, mm. and what a testimony, like our testimony doesn't have to be prison or the crazy stuff to be powerful. And that is, that's amazing. So thank you for sharing that. And just for your faithfulness to walk with God and look where that faithfulness has been able to take you and the doors God has been able to open for you because you're just walking with him. You know, that that's amazing. Well, that's, that's the thing. And I, I, every testimony is valuable. And you said it at the beginning, everybody has their own testimony. So it's wonderful, whether it goes through uh, an addiction, through prison, through all kinds of, of, of whatever, I'm not being uh, the least bit demeaning or disrespectful to that. I rejoice in every one of those testimonies. But when I look at my children and now my grandchildren, um, if I can just be honest, and I think even the people that came to God through all of the drama and trauma of life, they would have this same hope and prayer for their kids and grandkids is I want them to have a testimony like mine. I just want mm -hmm. them to walk with God so that they don't have to stray and they don't have to get away and they don't have to come back. And um, a statement I read uh, years ago um, what a tragedy. And it was talking about backsliders. And I, let me make a, a quick distinction. Uh, everybody has to come from sin, no matter how you're raised. You've got to have a conversion experience. But this was specifically about people that stray from God and stray away from their faith. And they said, what a tragedy to live with the consequences of forgiven sin. Mm. In other words, yes, God will forgive. You'll be restored. It'll be fine. Uh, you can live for God and God will redeem those years. But sometimes a sojourn in sin, a journey out into the world can result in consequences that even when you come back and you're forgiven, now you've got to deal with memories, sometimes relationships, sometimes, you know, everything. And so I would pray that my kids and my grandkids now have a testimony that's uh, <laughs> boring like mine. And I'm saying that in tongue in cheek, of course, but, but uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to just walk with God. Amen. Yes. Yes. That is so powerful. Thank you again for sharing that. Um, the goal of this podcast is to help everyone everywhere establish the habit of Bible reading and prayer. Um, uh, the word of God is for everybody. We know that. And what would you say are the keys to being consistent in spiritual disciplines? And what would you say to encourage somebody who's really struggling to get this habit established in their life? Um, probably a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you know, consistency is hard in any area that's important. Sometimes we look at spiritual disciplines different than other disciplines. 
discipline is just discipline. Mm-hmm. And by the way, of course, uh, disciple and discipline come from the same root word. So if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to have some disciplines. So any discipline that for anything that is important in life, if you think about it, um, some people are very devoted to uh, a workout, to the gym. Uh, some people are very devoted to uh, learning uh, music, lessons and practicing, and, and and they're trying to achieve something. Some people are very devoted to their career. And so they're up early, they work late, they they take stuff home, they're, they're really trying to improve and get better in their field. Um, anybody that's in university, it takes discipline if you're going to achieve a degree and, and be a success. So spiritual disciplines aren't any different than that. Um, you know, you use the word consistency. Well, consistency costs, and it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you effort, energy, concentration. So, uh, so number one is you've just got to put the work in. Um, if you're going to do this, you put the work in for other things, you put the time in for other things. So you've got to choose number one to make it a priority. Second, I think um, it's really important to not beat yourself up when you mess up. Um, You know, if if you're a a gym rat, uh, but you miss a day, you don't just throw up your hands and quit. Uh, if if you're um, a university student and you do bad on one exam, you don't throw out a four-year degree program. You pick yourself back up and you say, well, that wasn't good and that didn't help, but I'm going to get right back into it. And I think that's really important with the daily disciplines of being a child of God is that if you uh, miss a day for whatever reason, you know, you oversleep, you're stressed, you're sick, you're pressured, uh, other priorities creep in. Uh, Don't waste time beating yourself up. And for heaven's sake, don't be a perfectionist. In in God's sight, none of us are perfect. Um, In fact, in the New Testament, when you see the word perfect in reference to God, it means exactly that. God is perfect. But if you see the word perfect in reference to us anywhere in the New Testament, or even in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, it doesn't mean perfect. It means mature, complete, equipped. And so that's God's goal, that he wants us to be perfect. That doesn't mean perfect in our sense of that word. It means perfect in maturing, growing, growing. becoming more disciplined. And so uh, make sure that you pick yourself back up if you have days when you kind of slack off or whatever, and don't feel bad about that. Uh, just just keep on going. It's, it's a life. It's a journey. It's a walk. And so, you know, if you're walking and you stumble, you don't give up on the walk, you pick yourself back up. And, and I think finally, I would say, you know, when, when it comes to those daily disciplines, if you're new to them. If uh, you've struggled with them, um, don't use some other human being as your pattern. Um, you know, being in ministry around 40 years now, which which seems really strange, but it's, it's a while. Um, I, I think one of the things that people struggle with is I'm not doing my Bible reading right. I'm not doing prayer right. Uh, I'm not doing it as good as somebody. And unfortunately, uh, in the apostolic faith, and I'll talk about us uh, rather than somebody else, in the apostolic faith, we go to all of these big, powerful, wonderful meetings, and they are big and powerful and wonderful. And we go to church every week, and 
and and one of the things about testimonies, one of the things about services, one of the things about preaching is we tend uh, in wanting to help everybody move forward, we tend to tell about those victory stories. We tend to tell about the successes. We tend to tell about, you know, somebody had this powerful experience with God. That's wonderful, but the challenge is somebody sitting in the audience hears that, and they're brand new in their prayer life, or they're brand new in their Bible reading, and they think, like, my goodness, I could never do that. I I can't get insights like pastor, and I can't pray like that elder saint that sits across the aisle from me, and so they just give up. So finally, I would say, um, do things in, in bite-sized chunks. Don't start by reading 10 chapters a day because you heard somebody say that they read 10 chapters a day. Don't start by praying an hour a day because you heard somebody say, you've got to pray an hour a day. Mm. Start like you'd start anything else. You don't start playing concertos the first month you take piano lessons. So start where you are and move forward and just keep it your goal to move forward. Do a little bit. It would be better to read for five minutes and pray for five minutes than to just throw up your hands and say, I tried to do an hour and I couldn't. I lost concentration. I tried to read for an hour and I ended thinking about dinner. You know, just do something and grow from there. I I'm sitting here shaking my head because I just love everything you're saying. Uh, I love how you said consistency costs, you know, you're going to pay a price for it. And on the other side, give yourself grace. And I think I'll just say this real quickly. That is one of my goals is to help people see Bible reading and prayer as the means to establish relationship with Jesus. Relationships don't look the same every day and to take it out of our Christian duty, Christian routine, checklist item box Mm. and put it in privilege box put it in, you know, and and again, like you said, starting small, I don't, I couldn't add to what you said, but I just, wow, all of that is so amazing. Um, I once heard you say the difference between Bible reading and Bible study is what you write down. The difference is a pencil. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give myself and anybody who might listen to this a little bit of insight into what your study habits look like? Uh, yeah, I, I, I can. But again, everybody's study habits are going to look a little different. Everybody's reading habits are going to look a little different. Um, so so for me, um, uh, again, the pencil quote I love, uh, two, two things about pencils, and I haven't used, I can't remember the last time I used a pencil. So it's kind of a lie, but it's not because we get the principle. Um, number one, the, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. That's a great quote. Mm. Uh, So if you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. Now you may have a great stellar memory, but you're going to forget things. So, you know, one of the disciplines that I have is uh, that when I learn something, see something, read something, hear something in a sermon, if it impacts me in a powerful way, I get it down somewhere. So it's not a pencil and paper anymore. And unlike you with that wonderful book that you did, that's so the, the calligraphy and everything is so pristine and beautiful. If, if I did that, uh, no one would want it because they couldn't read it. It would look like their doctor's prescription. Uh, so I type. So the pencil thing is, is, is kind of a, a misnomer a little bit. Uh, but, but yet it's the principle. I I'm constantly, um, you know, putting things 
uh, in, in, in my notes on my computer. I like that. Um, uh, you know, computer technology is not native to somebody my age. I'm 60 years old. So I started with a PC and uh, I, I actually still remember commands in MS-DOS, which nobody in this generation even remembers. And I came up through Windows 3.0 and 3.1 and PCs. And then finally, begrudgingly almost switched over to a Mac. And so now that's my world, you know, the, the iPhone and iPad and Mac uh, economy. And so the wonderful thing about that, though, and for, for any of your uh, listeners that are, are younger, they're native to all of this. Mm-hmm. I can type something in my phone and it syncs to my computer. I can be sitting at my desk and type something in my computer and then think about it on an airplane and it's on my phone. And what a wonderful world we live in with technology. And if we're going to use it for everything else, keeping recipes, surely we can use it for Bible thoughts and and whatever. So, you know, I, I do uh, subscribe to the wisdom of, you know, you need to leave your devices out of the way when you're reading the Bible and praying and whatever. Uh, now, you may be listening to music on your iPad or your phone or your computer or something in the background. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But you don't need notifications going off and distracting you any more than you need notifications going off when you're trying to have a conversation with your children or a meal with your spouse. So we put those away. However, I will say this, uh, if I'm studying, it's different than when I'm just reading. So if I'm studying, I'm probably going to have an iPad or my laptop kicked open nearby so that if a word kind of impresses itself on me, I can quickly look it up in, in, in the Hebrew concordance and the Greek concordance. So those things are close by, uh, try to stay off too much like Google and whatever during study until I'm actually fleshing something out for personal study. It would be more like a Bible program, uh, where I can quickly look up a word or something. Cause um, so, so back to study habits, I, I know I'm tramping all around the barn, but, but here yeah, we come yeah. back. Um, so for study habits, when I'm looking at a passage of the word of God, I want to do a couple of things. Number one, I want to take the, the broad look. What I mean by that is you understand so much by context. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Uh, Where you and I live, I'm in New Brunswick, Canada, we have actual winter, uh, which is why I'm bitter at the people who live in Florida and California and whatever. Um, So so they don't understand winter. They have no context. And I joke with them about it. Uh, You know, when I'm trying to explain like word meanings in scripture, sometimes I'll say, you know, when I go to Florida and and I'm in Miami area and I say blizzard, they all think about Dairy Queen. That's not true in Wisconsin. It's not true in New Brunswick, Canada. We think of shoveling snow. Our context is different. Well, you learn from context. So in the Bible, when I'm reading a chapter, if you're slogging around in Isaiah, you need to do a little background reading, preferably before you even launch into the book. Uh, in a Bible dictionary, uh, in in a concordance, or not a concordance, but a commentary, uh, read a little background on the book you're reading so that you have an idea who Isaiah's writing to, who his friends are, who his enemies are, who the kings are, 
you know, by the time Isaiah prophesies, there's two kingdoms of Israel in the Old Testament. The kingdom's divided in a time of civil war. So which kingdom and, and why is that important? So that's the broad look to me. If it's the New Testament, I want to know where Paul is when he writes this letter and what the issues are in that church. So again, I'm going to do some background reading. That's the broad look. I find that a lot of our preaching, and this probably is confusing to some new believers, a lot of our preaching is what I would compare to a snapshot. You know, they they quote us a text, they, they take a snapshot of it. And so it's all concentrated around one or two or three verses. And that's good. It's inspirational preaching. Uh, teaching, or even what I would call personal study, is more like a video camera. It backs up, it pans in, it moves around. So I want to know all of that. And I've learned some wonderful things just in the, the nitty gritty of the background of a passage. So that's my first look when I'm studying is the broad look. And then I try to take the deep look. At least that's what I call it. Not that my study or my insights are so profound, but it's the deep look to me. And by the deep look, I mean that as I'm reading, I want to look at words that are unique that I, I, I think, well, now what's that word mean? Or that I haven't seen that word very much in the word of God. I also want to take a look at words that are uh, regular. Like, you know, if I go through a, a passage, uh, there's a chapter in, in Romans where Paul just keeps using the word yield, yield not to this and yield to this and, and, and don't yield your body to this. And well, if I see a word six or eight or 10 times in one chapter, uh, obviously I'm going to be looking up that word I'm going to be kind of figuring out what he means by that. So that would be like a little quick concordance study. Um, so words that don't occur often, words that do occur often, and then just words that I'm reading through and I think, hmm, wow, that's powerful or that that kind of strikes me. And I may do a little uh, study on that. You know, um, this maybe isn't, isn't even a good example of this, but uh, the, I was studying yesterday. We had Bible study here last night. Um, and, um, you know, the, the word uh, condemnation versus the word conviction. Um, understanding the difference is huge, especially for a new believer. And this didn't even make it into the Bible study last night, but it was something I was going over myself. You know, uh, con condemnation uh condemned. It, it comes from hell. It comes from the devil. Condemnation. Conviction. Convinced. Uh, it's the assurance that we have that God's leading us or he's correcting us. The challenge with condemnation and conviction is, is in if you study it a little bit, you figure out that they both feel emotionally the same but they come from different sources. Mm. Condemnation comes from the devil and it pushes us away from God. We feel like I might as well give up. I might as well stop praying. I want it might as well leave church. Conviction comes from God and it makes us, it feels emotionally the same. We need to repent, but it pulls us to God and we realize God's forgiveness and his grace in our failure. So just that's that's a word study condemnation conviction um and those things are incredibly valuable so so for me there's those two things the broad look all the background who the characters are 
Um, I've even used uh, Wikipedia for some of that. Uh, if I'm in a hurry, I'm on the go. I've only got my laptop. I don't have any books. Um, man, I'll just pop open a browser and look up Isaiah or book of Isaiah in Wikipedia. You know, even Wikipedia, a secular source, usually has enough about the background of the book. Now, it's going to be secular, so you're liable to get some commentator or some modern theologian that's going to tell you that, like, Isaiah was written by a guy named Fred in 1959 <laughs> or something. So you got to ignore all that junk. But but, but it will have enough. It'll parse out enough of the background. Um, but if if I've got my resources, it's going to be a a commentary. I don't like the big early church fathers, ancient commentaries that are written in Shakespearean English. I, I like something. My job as a pastor, as a speaker, as a communicator is to break the word of God down in something that's understandable. So I kind of like to read pastoral style commentaries. Um, and, and they just kind of put in layman's terms, what's going on. So that's the broad look all the details, all the background, everything that's going on in, in that area. And, and that becomes so powerful because if you read the book of Philippians and Paul's talking about joy and uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, that becomes exponentially more powerful when you realize Paul's in prison. Um, my goodness, that, that adds context to that book. Um, so that's the, the broad look. Then the deep look, which is the words of scripture, the phrases of scripture. And so one is more like what I would call a commentary study. One is more what I would call a, a, a concordance study that I'm actually looking up words. You don't have to be an expert in Hebrew or Greek anymore. Um, you know, you can, you can do a lot of this in just a simple Bible program. Um, and, and, you know, you, you got to be a little careful. Um, for example, in English, um, you, you talk about using a concordance. In English, uh, hot dog. Uh, well, you know, you parse that out. Hot dog, that's a warm canine. Well, no, it's <laughs> not. So you've got to look at the context of words. You don't just open up a concordance program and pick the first definition or the, the one you like the best or whatever you, you look at the context. And I heard a preacher say years ago in a seminar I was at, he said, if you see something in the word of God that nobody else has seen in 2000 years of church history, you're wrong. So <laughs> start again. Um, and, and he's, he's correct in that, of course. Wow. There is just so much there. Um, such incredible information. And that is all really super helpful, kind of probably to both of the questions that I just asked, either when it comes to consistency and to study. Um, I had planned to ask you a question about another quote you said, which was from Dawson Trotman, thoughts disentangle themselves as they pass through the lips or the fingertips. I was going to ask you just about digitally journaling, but I kind of feel you covered a lot of that already. I want to throw in a question that I didn't send, and I don't mean to throw you off, but oh, no. I really didn't send you any questions about prayer. And um, can you just, again, kind of answer somebody who is trying to get their prayer life established? Because obviously sometimes the word of God is a little bit more tangible. It's physical. It's a book. Uh -huh. We can hold it in our hands. We all know how to read. But prayer is a little bit more nebulous. You're talking to an invisible being and and so just you know a few thoughts on establishing a prayer life that's a that's a great question and i think you know again if i was to 
Um, if I was to go back and say, okay, what are common questions that you get from people? Um, you know, certainly one is, is the whole thing about reading the word of God, studying the word of God. Like you said, it's, it's more tangible. Uh, typically what people say when they are challenged in, in their, their Bible study habits is I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is as simple as get a modern uh, version of the Bible and kind of start there. If you're new, uh, King James, the King James version is spectacularly beautiful. It's of the quality of Shakespeare. In fact, one of the British prime ministers, um, I can't remember if it was Cameron, somebody celebrated the 400th anniversary of the King James version. And if you looked up British prime minister, King James version speech, you'd find it easily on Google. And he just talked about the beauty of the King James Bible, how uh, so many of our figures of speech come from it. So many of our English idioms come from that, that version of the scripture. So I'm a King James fan. I really am. But what I do sometimes, especially if I'm in the prophets or back in the Old Testament, in the deep weeds somewhere, and I can't, I'll read it in a newer paraphrase, and I will compare to the King James. The King James is the most word-for-word -word accurate English translation that we have. However, it's more than 400 years old. So it's not that the Bible's changed. It's that the, the language has changed. And so usually Bible issues are as simple as let's get you a couple of tools and make it easier to understand. So you're right. That's tangible. When it comes to prayer, that's an intangible because you're having a conversation with an invisible being. And sometimes I think the challenge in prayer isn't that I don't understand it. It's that I don't know if it's working. And, you know, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, and, and so uh, really, one, one of the things that you've got to remember is that prayer is simply a conversation with God. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to conversations, we're all human beings, we have conversations all the time. And I try to remind our folks that the most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in our lives, so this is friends, family, children, spouse, those conversations are informal, they are candid, they're transparent, they're honest, they don't have rigid structure, they don't have rigid agendas. So here's the key. We don't have to plan those conversations and organize those conversations. We just have them. They're as natural as breathing. They're they're effortless. Sometimes they're they're endless. You just pick up where you left off. And sometimes they're even, and, and, and this might sound funny, but they're even voiceless. You know, I've got friends and of course, Beverly, my, my wife, I, I can drive in the car and enjoy my time with them in their presence. And I'm not saying something. We're just together. We're enjoying something together. Maybe there's a song playing on the, 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 the media deal, whatever they call it now it used to be radio, <laughs> but we listen to you know, our own music, whatever they call that, the, the media system. Um, you know, that's conversation. It's not pressure. It's not performance. It's not posturing and pretending. And, and, and it's not even planning. It's a conversation. And that's really how prayer should feel. 
Uh, before Jesus ever told us how to pray, he told us how not to pray. Don't pray to be seen. Uh, don't pray to be heard. He, he just said, pray simply, pray confidently. And so, so here's my struggle with prayer. Maybe somebody that's listening would identify with this. I, I'm a perfectionist. Um, I'm a type A kind of driven, let's get it done. And so my big struggle with prayer is um, God already knows everything I'm thinking everything I'm going to ask, everything I'm going to say. So so in my flesh, my struggle is, what's the point? If he already knows what I'm going to say, and he already knows what I'm going to ask. And, and so my comeback to that, for people that are as crazy as me and struggle with something like that, is don't give me that excuse, because if I talk to any five of your friends they already know exactly how you feel, exactly what you think. They know what you're going through, and they probably can finish your sentences because you've told them those same funny stories a thousand times. But you talk to them anyway, even though they know so much about your life already, and you'll rehash the same things on the phone, in the restaurant, in the church foyer, because you're friends. The conversation never ends. Why? Because you have a relationship. So just talking to God about what's on your heart and what's in your mind. So um, one of the things that I did to try to help our folks, uh, this is back sometime in the pandemic. So it was like when we were all kind of shut down and we were limited in services and we were online. And I did this little series about the Lord's Prayer um, called Seven Prayers uh, That Can Change Your Life, I think is what it was called. And just parse the Lord's Prayer out into seven words. Uh, our father, which art in heaven, that's the cry of a child of their father. So one prayer that you can pray that's very simple is just help. I need your help, God. I need your help because you're my heavenly father. Another prayer, uh, hallowed be thy name, entering into his presence with thanks is a prayer that you can pray. And, and I think that's a prayer we need to pray so often is just thank you, God. And, and these little words are like jump uh, jumper cables, booster cables for your prayer life. If you just learn to pray these simple things, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. That's the prayer of yes, God, I'm agreeing with your word. I'm agreeing with your promise. I'm going to just keep reminding you of your promise. Um, give us this day, our daily bread. That's kind of the, to me, the most misunderstood little phrase in the Lord's prayer, because people look at it as it's my Christmas wish list, but it's not, it's, it's a declaration that Jesus, you are enough for me. I, I need what you want for me today. You're number one on my priority list. Everything comes after you, under you. So that's the prayer to me of enough. God, I'm content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so that's not a prayer for more. That's a prayer of enough. God, you've blessed me. Um, the big one, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the prayer of I'm sorry. Um, and, and sometimes I have to pray that to God, but that's the one clause in the Lord's prayer that Jesus hooks to my other relationships. If you don't forgive men, their trespasses, I won't forgive you your trespasses, but if you'll forgive them, I'll forgive you. In other words, unforgiveness blocks God's forgiveness in our lives. So you know, it's it's really important to learn to pray that prayer very quickly. Um, when you've messed up, 
I'm sorry, God. Mm. Keep your relationships with others clear, clear and clean. Keep your relationship with God clear and clean. And then uh, lead us not into temptation. Uh, that's the prayer of no, no, I refuse the devil's plan. I refuse the devil's attacks. Um, and, and then finally, and I love this one, and I would teach the whole series just to teach this last one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Uh, amen. Um, so you've got these seven prayers. So help, thanks, yes, enough, sorry, no. And then the last one I love. Wow. Yours is the kingdom. Um, I think wow qualifies as a prayer. Every once in a while, I'll just be walking outside. I'm looking outside uh, from the window right here beside me, and there's beautiful fall colors on the trees, which our friends in Florida don't know anything about. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, it's beautiful out there. There's a little river behind our house, and, and the water's flowing, and it's cold, but it's very pretty. And every once in a while, I'll just be walking outside somewhere or just thinking about the goodness of God in a hotel room. And it's like, wow, Jesus, mm. you know, I think about my grandchildren. It's like, wow, you've blessed us. They're all healthy and, and they're also cute and, you know, they're growing up and they're learning to love Jesus and they're learning to pray those little simple prayers of a child. And sometimes I think we make prayer so complex and so complicated um, when it's really simple. It's like those little one word prayers. It's just like, it's a relationship. It's a conversation. And, and I'll say this, and um, I think sometimes the biggest struggle with prayer uh, personally is prayer corporately, because we, we need to pray corporately. Our Father, um, God wants us to. Uh, the New Testament, the book of Acts in particular, talks about you know them praying together. Uh, so we're supposed to do that. But I think sometimes for many people, the biggest enemy of prayer personally is prayer corporately because they think that their personal prayer is supposed to feel like corporate prayer. Mm -hmm. Their personal prayer is supposed to be as powerful and as loud and as energetic as and they they've lost the 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 idea of that you know um to use a, a sports metaphor and i'm not a sports guy so if i mess this up you'll just have to give me some grace but um you know if if you went with your friends to some huge uh football game and you're all in the stands you know uh, you're there your spouse is there your kids are there your friends are there you know and and you're all cheering for your team that's loud and intense and everybody's acting crazy and people are waving their arms and 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 you kind of get lost in the moment that's not how you talk to your spouse over dinner. Like if, if you're sitting down for a quiet dinner at home, when you're saying, yeah, pass the bread, you know, it's, it's like, that's just weird. In the very same way, I think we get corporate prayer and personal prayer messed up. My personal prayer life is nowhere near as intense. Now, if I'm intense, if I'm emotional about something, if, if I've been hurt by something, if we've had a calamity unfold, God forbid, and I'm praying over that, yes, that's intense. Mm -hmm. But it's not that like loud, joyful, uh, it, it's more of a, uh, uh, an intercession, even weeping intense. So your personal prayer life doesn't have to feel like, sound like, have the emotional intensity of corporate prayer. Learn to enjoy prayer for what it is, that it's a conversation ongoing with Jesus. So yeah, when, when you're talking to your spouse, you're off in, in your home, you're together, 
But if then you go to some kind of fellowship party at the church and you've got 150 people in a room, it gets loud, it gets excitable. The same way that our emotional state for different conversations with our friends and our family, the same way that changes, um, the intensity and the emotion of prayer changes. Um, you have conversations at different levels, different uh, emotional investment in conversations, um, prayer is not any different than that. It's a conversation with God. That is so helpful. And I love, you know, you had said several times people hear in their head or maybe from the enemy, they're not doing it right. And that, what you just said kind of sums up exactly what I'm trying to tell people. It's a conversation. It's not going to sound like the pastor behind the pulpit on Sunday. It's you talking. It's you learning to make a friend of God and to be a friend to him. And to get to know his heart. And so I just thank you. That is all so, so powerful. Um, I want to ask you a question that I was asked recently. It's, it's an original to me, but I think it is such a good question. In your opinion, what impact could it have on your effectiveness to the kingdom if we do or don't practice Bible reading and prayer? Well, those two disciplines, one informs the other, one trains the other. One of the most effective ways to pray is to pray the words of scripture. Uh, the Psalms, uh, that is the prayer book of, of Israel. And so it's not just uh, devotional reading, it's praying. When you pray the words of scripture, so you can't pray the words of scripture if you never read the scripture, if you never memorize the scripture, if you're not familiar with the scripture. And in the same way, prayer turns around and illuminates the scripture. So you're going to get more out of reading your Bible if you're talking to God about what you're reading. Uh, if you're asking God for help to understand it before you're reading, if you're thanking him for what you've read after you're reading. So those two disciplines of prayer and the word, they, they dovetail. You can't do one without the other. And so, so really to say, well, you know, I'm going to do Bible reading, but not prayer, or I'm going to do prayer, but not Bible reading. You can't divide them for that reason. They inform each other. So um, really this is the, the building blocks of, of discipleship mm -hmm. and your, you may achieve wonderful things, but without those disciplines, um, you, it, it, it doesn't carry, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. That's a little too absolute. I'm just going to say it doesn't matter as much in the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a testimony, a witness, a sermon, uh, your leadership, whatever you do for the kingdom of God and just living your life. It's, if it's bathed in prayer and bathed in the word, then it's pleasing to God. Um, there are victories that you're not going to win without the word and prayer. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Um, did a study also back in the pandemic on Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Almost every verse in Psalm 119 is the word talking about the word. So it's, it's a powerful chapter in the Bible. But one of the verses right at the get-go of that series that impacted me so much was, you know, he uses the, the writer, we don't know who it is. Uh, it's in the Psalms, but it's not, uh, not written by David that we know of. Um, so, so the writer, whoever he is, 
he 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 uses eight different words for the word of God, law, statutes, commandments, all of that kind of stuff. It sounds like you're going to be reading like the traffic code. It's just all these laws and whatever. And you would think it would be quite stern and quite, uh, you know, cut and dry, but it's not It's beautiful. And he comes off with this verse, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. It's like if somebody took the traffic code for Fredericton, New Brunswick and set it to music, it wouldn't be beautiful. But he says, the law of God is like a song when you begin to read it and interact with it. So, so you lose a lot of beauty out of your life without these daily disciplines. Mm. You lose yes. uh, certainly God's covering over your life without these daily disciplines. But, but I think for our conversation, you lose growth out of your life. You know, the whole point is I want to grow in my relationship with God. Um, you can't grow in your relationship with your spouse without conversation. So if prayer is us talking to God and God's word is God talking to us, you just ripped conversation out of your relationship with God. And, and so that's why these things are so very important. That's amazing. Oh, I, you know how you just want to like talk about something. I was in <laughs> Psalm 119 this morning and I love mm. Psalm 119. I oh my goodness. love the line where he says, but my heart standeth in awe of that oh, word. I love that word. Yeah. Oh, there's this yeah. like verse after verse in Psalm 19 yeah. that I could go on and on about, but thank you for sharing that. Obviously we know there's Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like if we don't yes. have that connection to him, like you said, we can have a certain level of effectiveness in ministry, but I love how you said, if it's bathed in the word and it's mm. bathed in prayer, it's pleasing to God. And at the end of the day, that's what we, we want to please him. We want. we want to know him. Yes. We stand before him. We want to know him. Um, you are very well known as a preacher, a teacher. And I just have a random question out of all the sermons. My personal favorite of your sermons is even there. I remember where I was when I listened to it. It took me about four hours to make it through because I took so long writing notes and they hung on my book <laughs> for a long time. Um, or not even there, even if I think actually I mixed, mixed up the title. Even if, yep. Even if. Um, but out of all the sermons that you've ever preached, what is the most personally impacting to you? I don't have a good answer for that question because uh, it it changes uh, because it j just like your personal, you know, people say, well, what's your favorite scripture? Well, there's probably a couple that are sort of life verses for me. But other than that, my favorite scripture changes like every week or every month or uh, it's, it's what's <laughs> impacting me right now, you know? And I, so I make a joke about that at church sometimes when I'm teaching, you know, this is my favorite book right now or, um, you know, um, last night I was teaching Bible study. We're in a series on the gospel of John right now. And, uh, so, so let, let me give you, uh, cause we were talking about Bible study and, and, and whatever, and try to keep me from getting too far afield from the, the question about favorite message. I'll, I'll try to come back. But when we talked about a little earlier, you know, the broad look and the, 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 the deep look, of, of studying scripture. So, so let's just take a, a little microcosm here. So we're studying the gospel of John. The series is called the last word. And here's why, because out of all the apostles, out of all the scripture writers of the new Testament, John writes last, 
He doesn't write first. We we look at the New Testament or the Old Testament. We see how the books are grouped, and mentally we kind of think, well, that's the order. It's not at all the order. It's grouped according to types of books. The Gospels are together. The Pauline epistles are together. The general epistles are together. So John actually writes last of everybody. So that's the broad look. In other words, you can't read Acts in light of John. You have to read John in light of Acts because Acts came first. So in other words, if you see a scripture in John like this one, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that's wonderful. But people take that verse and say, well, there you go. All you've got to do is believe. Wait, 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 just a minute. The New Testament church, they didn't have the gospel of John. The gospel of John's written post AD 90, 60 years after the day of Pentecost. So the broad look informs me that wait, I need to read John in light of Acts. So when John says believe, he's not campaigning for a different doctrine or a different message than what the New Testament church has preached for 60 years. That's not what he's doing. He's writing a theology of who Jesus was. So that's where background study and this book's written after this book, that helps. That's the broad look. Last night in the lesson, we were talking about um, the Samaritan woman at the well, um, which is just so beautiful because, you know, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He has a divine appointment. And so, you know, we're, we're studying the gospel of John. I've already told him, you know, in the gospel of John, it's the only gospel where John intentionally records the I am statements of Jesus. You know, there's seven of them where he actually says something definitive, like I am the door of the sheep and I am the bread of life. And I am, uh, you know, the light of the world and I am the resurrection and the life. But there's seven others where we wouldn't even notice it because it looks like uh, it's just part of a sentence, pronoun and a verb. We wouldn't even notice these. The very first time Jesus ever uses I am, and he declares his identity, is when that Samaritan woman, Jews don't talk to Samaritans, men don't talk to women in public in that day. Um, she can't imagine that this Jewish man is sitting on the well and willing to talk to her. She knows her background. She's had five failed marriages, at least one illegitimate relationship. She's humiliated and shamed and embarrassed. She's not even a woman of, of good standing in the community at Sychar. And here's Jesus talking to her and she keeps deflecting. You know, she's like so many people today that when they're faced with truth, they come up with some kind of religious question. So she's, she does that about three or four times in the conversation, you know, Oh Jesus, you're a prophet. Uh, you know, while we're talking about my sexual immorality and my failed marriages, and I'm living with somebody right now, uh, which mountain should we worship him? You know, she's, she's trying to deflect and at one point she says, you know, I know that Messiah is going to come someday. And when he comes in the future, she's, she's deflecting. Um, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus looks at her. And the very first time he ever uses an I am statement is not to a Jew. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not to the Sanhedrin. The very first time God manifest in flesh ever says, I am, is to the woman at the well where he looks at her and says, the one that's speaking to you. I am. That's the deep look. That's that's where you you get those little things. So so right now, 
Um, my favorite sermon is Bible study last night. That's my <laughs> favorite sermon. Uh, but, but to kind of try to come back to your question, um, you know, there's different messages over the years. Um, one that has been so meaningful to me is I, I actually did a little study, used some other resources and, and studied about the, the, the talit, the prayer shawl that the Jews use. And I, I, I studied about, you know, the Bible's very clear that, you know, you're to put tassels, fringes on the corners of your garment. So I did a study about all of that. So I used some commentaries. I used some other books, some Jewish sources. And by the way, you've got to be careful with some of the, your sources today uh, because so many of them are like mystical and, you know, the, the, you just got to be careful. Again, if you're seeing something that your pastor hasn't preached, uh, you're seeing something that that runs far afield of what Christianity uh, believes uh, today, you, you need to be careful. It's got to line up with the book of Acts and the apostles and, and Jesus. Uh, but I did discover this. And, and so then, you know, you look at all the times when the woman touches the hem, the fringe of Jesus' garment. That's his talit. That's his prayer shawl. And there's this whole message. I've preached that. I always preach it with a prayer shawl. We've taken that poor prayer shawl and we've stretched it over altar services and had people coming under it and people pulling on it. And it, so, so a message like that uh, would be what I would call kind of a signature message for, for me because it's extremely meaningful to me. Um, the most meaningful messages to me are not the ones that necessarily get the biggest response. They're the ones where I see people's eyes light up with revelation. Another message that would be a signature message for me, and, and I'll get to it in this series on John, which is one of the reasons I really like this current series. Uh, but I preached a message on the gospel of John years ago talking about the I am statements of Jesus and how John is on a mission to show us that it's God manifest in flesh. And so I love that, the saying over the cross. And if you study that out, literally God's writing, I am, uh, Yeshua HaNazari Vamelech HaYehudim, written over the head of Jesus is YHWH, uh, because the Jews were always fanatical. We, we were talking about Psalm 119. Every verse in Psalm 119, the first letter of the verse, it's it's 22 sections of eight letters. And in each of the 22 sections, those eight verses begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why there's that little squiggly letter, uh, Hebrew letter over your by over that section in, in the King James Bible. So the Jews, they knew about looking at the first letter of words and memorizing by using the first letter of verses because they're eight verses the same, eight verses the same. So when they looked at that inscription on the cross, they could see it, Y-H-W-H, written right over the head of Jesus. Um, and you study in Psalm 119, we actually went through those crazy Hebrew letters when we did that series and learned every one of them is like an Egyptian hieroglyphic. It's like a, a pictograph. Every Hebrew letter has a visual image associated with it. Um, so the little tiny uh, Hebrew letter Yud uh, the image associated with that is a window. It's it's the word behold. Um, uh, the word, um, oh goodness. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's that's hey. Uh, behold, the window. Yud is, um, oh goodness. I'm going to forget now. Um, 
hand. Yud is a hand. Uh, Vav is um, a nail. That's that's the actual image. So every one of these little Hebrew letters uh, has a meaning. So written over the head of Jesus is Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Yahweh. But encoded in the name of Yahweh, Yahweh, that God gave to Moses, I am that I am. If you study the meaning of those Hebrew letters, written over the head of Jesus on the cross is behold the hand, behold the nail. That was encoded in the name of God that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, those four letters, yad Hey vav Hey, behold the hand, behold the nail. It was always there in the name of God. Um, I love stuff like that. So when when I think about favorite messages, I'm thinking about the ones that have the most revelation, not the most response from the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just go on and on. And so if I gave you all these messages, it might be messages that nobody even noticed that I preached. But to me, they were where I got a hold of it. And I, I, I taught through in a Bible class setting a couple of hours. Um I taught through that whole Psalm 119, all those crazy letters. And it, it was fine. You know, people are, uh, they're getting it. They're sitting at tables, they're writing notes and we're having a good time. But I can tell that for a few of them, it's like, literally, like, why are we learning these Hebrew letters? Like, why, what does this have to do with anything until we got there? And when I, when I said, uh, you know, Yad, Hey, Vav, Hey, because by now we've studied those letters and 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 they know the symbols because I gave them a little handout and they can see it right in front of them. And I said, behold the hand, behold the nail. Wow. So the all the seniors in the room, it's like a whole church Bible school and all the seniors in the room, they're like lifting their hands. But the young people are going, their head blown, their mind. Blown. But that's the revelation of the word of God. It's It's so deep. That you yeah. can study it for 10,000 lifetimes and never get to the end of it. Oh. Uh, by the same token, it's so shallow. A wayfaring man, though a fool, shall not err therein. It's so shallow in the big things, the new birth and prayer and the oneness of God, that even a baby in Christ, you can get something out of the word of God. But you can have confidence that you can study it for a lifetime and never exhaust it. That's way too long an answer and had probably very little to do with your question, but it was fun. No, I think that was really, really helpful, actually. And it's interesting. I love how you said you could study for 10,000 lifetime and not scratch the surface. And it reminded me back to your John series. And I was just thinking of this verse where it closes. And for me, I didn't know John was actually written last, Um, but how he says, and there also there are also many other things which Jesus mm. did, the which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written and just yeah. depth, but like you said, the simplicity, yep. you know, and I feel like the more I read the Bible, the more I realize I don't know. It's just oh, big time for all of us. Yeah, it's so crazy. So no, that was a long answer, but that was a very good answer. <laughs> very good answer. You can tell there's a lot of passion. You know, oh my goodness. Preacher, because you're a preacher by title, you love the word and it I love the word of your in your preaching. Let, let me just quickly insert this that one of the things I say to young preachers all the time is you've got to learn to have confidence in the word of God. 
Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've been exposed to so much religious communication today. We've got uh, webcasts and we've got um, media moguls on television in the religious world now. You know, so these are people that sometimes they have a whole research team helping them research their message and their message still ends up being about an inch deep. It's just like, you know, some clever stories strung together, a little bit of humor, a couple of plays on words. And and so it's not very deep and there's not very much revelation in it. Um And so I'm forever telling young preachers, stop thinking about your personal presentation and the intensity of your communication and stop trying to stir this up by what you do. Learn to have enough confidence in the word of God. And I do, and I love it. So I know that if I teach the word of God or preach the word of God, that at some point, God's spirit is going to confirm the word. And if it's in the middle, I'm going to try to quit talking real quick. And if it's at the end, good. Um, (laughs) but I would say that also, that's not just for preachers and teachers. That's for us in our, in our Bible reading and in our daily Bible study and in our interaction with the word of God and in prayer, um, the word of God will speak to you when it does, you know, maybe this is a kind of a good place to, uh, just just kind of hang our hat almost. Uh, when the word of God speaks to you, when you're in prayer and God speaks to you, just two words, slow down. Mm. That's the deal. Um, you know, the Bible says Moses turned aside to see the burning bush. So if you're praying, if you're reading the word, if you're studying and you feel that kind of power of the word or the power of God's presence overtaking you, don't rush through. See, that's where we mess up, I think, in prayer and and Bible study. We rush through what we're doing. It's like a check off the list for today. I I got my three chapters read, or I I got my 15 minutes or my half hour or my hour done. that's, That's not the point. The point is a relationship. It's a conversation with God. It's communication with God. So so slow down. Sometimes slowing down means I don't understand this word. I'm going to grab a commentary and look up what's being said or look up a definition of a word. Um, A rabbit trail isn't a bad thing if it's taking you into the presence of God or it's taking you into the word of God. So I, I think that's the big thing maybe out of our conversation today is, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, some, somebody that's beginning their walk with God and they're beginning their interaction with his word. They, they look at today and it's like, Oh my goodness, they talked about Hebrew letters and they talked about inscriptions on the cross It's like, well, that's after years of like learning little things, little pieces at a time. And when it snaps together, that's powerful. It doesn't have to be Hebrew letters and inscriptions on the cross and background of books. And it doesn't have to be that. It could be something so simple as, you know, just you're reading a scripture and you feel God speak to you from that verse. Mm. That's where one of my one of my favorite quotes is, that's where you need to learn to make your Bible your Bible write in it, pray over it, cry over it, underline it, circle things in it. Uh, if you if you need to keep 
you know, your particular, some Bible that was given to you, or and you need to keep that pristine and you don't want any of the pages to be wrinkled, then get another Bible and write mm-hmm. in that one. Yeah. Um, make your Bible your Bible and learn to slow down, whether it's prayer or whether it's Bible reading, assume that Jesus is trying to speak to you and just slow down. That's so good. Two recent episodes, refusing to rush and Hmm. make your Bible your own. So just thank you for all uh, that you've shared today. It's been so good. And yes, you talked about Hebrew letters, but you shared a lot that is helpful to really anyone, wherever they're at on the journey, whether that is just starting. We all start somewhere. We all start somewhere, like you said, and we can't compare I can't compare my walk to yours. I'm sitting here thinking like, my word, I've never studied out the little letters above Psalm 119, <laughs> but I'm inspired to. And I know that, you know, you got just a couple years on me and one day I'll get there uh, uh, and I'll study those too. But, you know, I think just the encouragement that you just gave to slow down with the word of God, the encouragement you gave to see prayer just as simply a conversation hmm. and the encouragement that you've given, you know, when it comes to the broad look with the word, um, the deep look with the word. And then also, like you just said, slowing down, letting the word of God speak to you. It's all been so good. So thank you so much. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your walk with God. Thank you for your, what you call the boring quote unquote testimony, or maybe I called <laughs> it that, but it's impacting a lot of us, a lot of lives. So yeah. thank, thank you for everything. Kind. It's been an honor. Well, thank you very much and God bless you. And we'll hopefully see you back in Wisconsin one of these days when it's not a blizzard. When it's not a blizzard. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'll go talk to my friends in Florida. (laughs) It's been great. I've enjoyed it so much. All right. God bless you, Brother Woodward. God bless. Have a great rest of the day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. I just wanted to say another giant thank you to Brother Woodward for agreeing to be interviewed for the unedited podcast. I did feel strongly about asking him just as he has um, shared some things that have been so impactful in my life. And I know he has just so much wisdom and experience to draw from as it relates to our walk with God. So thank you again, Brother Woodward. I pray that something that he shared today would just be an inspiration to you to, again, like he said, start where you are and grow from there. And like he shared towards the end, to slow down with the Word of God. Thank you again so much for being here today. If you have questions, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, 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 amazing, wonderful, fabulous, incredible Friday.